You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to c3sandiego.com. Fantastic. Well, what an honor to be with you. Come with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew. We're going to do Matthew 11 and Matthew 16. The title of my message this morning is Advance Obstructions. Advance Obstructions. It'll make sense in a moment. Uh, The whole series for this month coming around, our vision builders is advance, is advance. God has called us as a church to advance in the city. So the the original vision that I had, and you know, God had to break it down in bite-sizable pieces because if he would have told me it was 16 campus, I would have freaked out and said, I'm completely the wrong guy. So when we were coming to San Diego, God gave me a vision of a baseball diamond. And so I'm like, okay, God, I, you know, I understand cricket. I don't really, you know, I'm happy to learn, but I don't really, and is that, you want me to get involved somehow in what, a baseball league? And I was like, no, no, oh, um, myself. No, no, um, I'm trying to explain to you that this is the picture, that San Diego is, the, the way that it is shaped, people aren't gonna sit in traffic 45 minutes, an hour, an hour and 15, so you're not gonna build one megatropolis location. The strategy for San Diego when you come is one church in four locations. If I was honest with you, I was just, I had enough faith to believe maybe we could have one church in one location. I knew first Sunday there'd be at least five. I knew I'd be there, Leanne would be there, and our three sons. I knew we had at least five. And then when Pastor Andrew Bennett put his hand up, I said, okay, well, there's going to be six, seven. And, uh, you know, and so I thought, okay, there's going to be, but, you know, God, God very quickly and rapidly helped us to, grow and then as we, as we were nearing planting our fourth campus I felt the Holy Spirit say the next chapter is 16 campuses and as you would have heard from Pastor Drew we don't build uh, so much churches we build altars the church is meant to be an altar an altar is a place where heaven interacts with earth Jesus says when you pray say our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want you to know that the reason that there's so much pain, so much loss, so much grief, so much war, so much crime, so much devastation on the earth is because God's will is not done on earth as it is in heaven. The reason that heaven is a heavenly place, the reason that heaven is a paradisical place, the reason that heaven is peaceful, the reason that heaven is such a lovely place is because God's will is done. Now there was a time where God's will was contended in heaven, so don't think that heaven's got a 100% track record. Five times Lucifer said, I will. So he lost his place because heaven is heaven because it's God's will. But Lucifer decides, not your will, my will be done. He was cast into the earth. Today we have seven billion people and the great battle with every single human being is the battle Jesus fought in the Garden of Gethsemane when he knew that he had to repair what Adam damaged. What the first Adam lost, Jesus had to recover. The first Adam lost it when he said, not thy will, my will be done. And he took the fruit. Now the second Adam had to come and he's looking at a cup before him. And he said, Father, if it is possible for this cup to pass by without me drinking it, please, nevertheless, not my will, thy will be done. 
Three times Jesus prayed that, and then Jesus actually went to the cross to do the Father's will. But even Jesus there wrestled where the culture of this earth is one where your will is usually the first one that is done, and then God's will is kicked to the sidelines. So if you ever wonder why, you know, there's pain and devastation and murder and violence and you know, all kinds of wickedness in the earth. It's because God's will is resisted. God's will is rejected. Okay, let me just double down on that. You and I live, you and I live in a world where there is a broken amen. You and I live in a world where there is a broken amen. What is amen? Amen is something that we encourage in this church. When you hear a truth, say amen. When you hear a truth, you, you amen. The word amen literally means let it be so. Let it be so. The world was fractured in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve heeded the advice of Satan who said, has God really said? Has God really said? Has God, can you really trust God? Has God really said? The amen was fractured. Because the amen was fractured, God's will is not done. It's in the amen, let it be so, that God's will is done. When your will comes into alignment with God's will, God's will comes to pass. We want you to know that there is no greater will for your life than the will of God. It's the hardest thing for us to trust. If you face, if you grew up with a, an abusive parent, if you grew up with, with divorced parents, it's gonna be very, very hard because the, the first model of God's authority in your life is your parents. They, they, they are the first ambassadors, the first representation of God's authority. And if you had trouble with your, your, your parents, you're gonna find it takes, a little bit of a, it takes a little bit of courage to begin to trust an invisible God that you can't see when you couldn't trust your parents that you could see. And so you're gonna find it's very, very difficult to, to trust that God loves you more than you love you. I've been following Jesus for 33 years and 33 years on, this is what I've discovered. Whatever He asks me to do, I'm gonna do it because He loves me more than I love me. He cares for me more than I, the, the dumbest thing I've ever done is, no, not, not thy will, my will be done. I'm at the place where I know no matter what He asks, even if it looks difficult, even if it looks painful, I know that my betterment, He loves me more than I love me. He cares for me and He is a much better uh, caretaker of my life. He knows the ups and downs, the ins and outs, the rises and falls. He knows everything about my heart. And I've got to tell you, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. You'll find yourself living you know, a lot of Christians, I can't wait to die and get to heaven. I felt like the day I got born again, heaven started flowing into my life. You can have heaven right here, right now. Somebody say amen. Amen. So let me just say this. Let me just say this. In fact, let's read these scriptures. The Bible says, from the days of John the Baptist until now. This is Jesus speaking, Matthew 11, verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. The NIV says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. Uh, I need you to understand today that for your life to advance, for you to take ground, you do not step into a vacuum. You do not step into an empty space. You are not moving forward into a region where there is nothing. 
For the kingdom of light to increase, the kingdom of darkness must decrease. For the kingdom of God to take ground, the kingdom of the devil must lose ground. So you need to understand that there is no neutral territory. There is no neutral territory. In the third law of motion, Newton discovers that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. When, when, a, when a fish swims in the ocean, it, it flips its little fins and the fins push the water backwards. But the same water that is pushed backwards has an equal and opposite reaction where the same water then propels the fish forwards. When a bird is in the sky, the, the bird flips its wings. The wings push the air down, but at the same time it creates a, a push, equal and opposite reaction where it lifts the bird. In 1947, Chuck Yeager was the first man to break the speed of sound. 1947 broke the speed of sound. When he broke the speed of sound, basically what happened is the, the, the plane, what, it can happen with cars, rocket, whatever. When something breaks the speed of sound, when it exceeds the speed of sound, it is traveling not into an unknown area. It is penetrating a brand new area where now that it is moving faster, I think it's 361 meters per second. Once it travels faster than that, what happens is there, there are sound waves that now fold back on itself and you'll hear what's known as the sonic boom. This thing is so powerful that sometimes when jets break the sound barrier, buildings have been known all the windows to shatter in the building because you, 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 don't, you don't exceed into a speed where there is nothing, you exceed into a, seed, into a, into a dimension where there is something. I'm saying all that to tell you that Jesus, when He said in Matthew 16, 18, I say that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of, come on somebody, the gates of, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, Jesus says, I'm gonna build my church, but I understand as I'm building my church, same sentence, as I'm building my church, the gates of hell will not, in other words, Satan has set up gates. Satan, Satan has, has marked out his territory. Now you need to understand he has territory, but it's illegitimate. When you look around the world, I need you to understand there are governments over nations. There are governments over nations. There are mayors over regions. Sadly, sadly, all authority is from God, but not all authority is occupied legitimately. Satan takes Jesus to a high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he says, all of these kingdoms of the world have been delivered to me and I can give them to whoever I want. That's called illegitimate authority. Jesus came to win the world back, but he's like, I don't need to bow my knee to you to have you dispense it. I'm coming to dethrone you and take what you got illegitimately and bring it back. That's why the Bible says that God gave him the name that is now above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, and Jesus, when he rose from the dead, said all authority in heaven and on earth has been delivered to me. 
Therefore, go into all the world. We, we go, and so you need to understand, like for example, right now in Iran, the people of Iran don't want the mullahs to rule over them. The mullahs are executing and killing any other threats because they don't want democratic elections so that the people's will is done. That's called illegitimate authority. But you'll find that where there's godly authority, the Bible says when the righteous are in authority, the people are blessed. When the righteous are in authority, the people, when the wicked rule, the people groan. This is very, very important because a lot of Christians believe que Sarah, Sarah, whoever God wants to win the election will win the election. And God's like, what part of my Bible do you not read? Genesis 1, 28, I gave you dominion over the earth. Psalm 8, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you consider him? You made him a little lower than Elohim and put him in charge, gave him dominion over the earth. God's like, I ain't choosing, you're choosing the leaders. And let me tell you, you choose a godly leader, it's going to go well with you. You choose a wicked leader, it's not going to go well with you. Anyway, that's enough lessons on that. So let me just, let me just say this. For you to advance, you're going to find some resistance. For you to advance, you're going to find some pushback. You're going to find some kickback. You're going to find some demonic activity. But can I tell you, you don't need to fear. You don't need to fear. You don't need to be afraid of the devil because 2,000 years ago, Jesus defeated the devil. Jesus rose again on the third day, conquering death, conquering hell. Revelation says, I saw one walking among the seven golden lampstands like the Son of Man. His eyes, flames of fire. His hair, white like wool. His body, burnished bronze. And he had in his right hand the keys of death and the keys of hell. And he said, behold, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I am the one who was and is and the one who is to come. I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. Jesus rose from the dead, conquering the devil, crushing his head. When we war, we don't war towards victory. We war from victory. Jesus defeated the devil. I don't have to spend all night in prayer hoping to get to victory. I spend my time in prayer knowing that all I've got to do is stamp that cross. Take the cross like a flag and stamp it in the ground. Devil, get off my marriage. Devil, get off my finances. Devil, get off my family. Devil, get off my health. Devil, get off my children. For it is written, for it is written, for it is written. Jesus defeated the devil by repairing the fracture three times. He said, it is written. It is written. It is written. Why was he doing that? He was amening God. Because in the power of agreement, authority flows. In the place of agreement, authority flows. Mama says, no cookies before dinner. Child wants cookies before dinner. Dad's distracted, he's watching the news. Dad didn't hear mom say no cookies before dinner. Child, Dad, can I have a cookie? Sure, son, whatever you want. The next minute the child is eating a cookie, mommy catches the child. I told you, but Dad said, because the child already has figured this thing out. Where there's division, there's a loss of authority. A house divided cannot stand. The place of agreement is the place of power. Jesus says, it is written. In other words, you're saying, God has said. The devil created a fracture. I want to encourage you, uh, if you can go onto the podcast, listen to the message I preached two weeks ago called Fractured. Fractured, it'll bless you. Great message. But the fracture happened 
has God really said? We live in a world where, but you need to understand, Jesus came saying, God has said. Shut your face, devil. God has said. Just back off. God has said. God has said. God is looking for an amen in the earth. Can somebody say? Come on, you're, you're doing good. So let me just say this. Sadly, I've got to, I've got to kind of spend a, uh, just a moment teaching this. It is God's will for you to advance. For, for whatever reason, we, we, man has elevated a poverty gospel above the teaching of prosperity in the Scripture. And then those same people have labeled, have labeled, have labeled what we preach as a prosperity doctrine or a prosperity gospel. There's only one gospel and it's full of prosperity. It's full of prosperity. Well, you know, what about the rich young ruler? You know, Jesus told him, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Absolutely, Jesus said that. But nowhere did Jesus say, have nothing. He says, be willing to give everything. Jesus says, one thing you lack. Because remember, the guy came and said, good teacher, what must I do that I may have eternal life? Well, you know the commandments. Well, I have kept all of these things since I was a youth. I, 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 I. Jesus goes, wow, one thing you lack, small world. The reason you're so empty, you're rich, you're young, and you're a ruler, you got everything this world tells you pertains to success, and there's an emptiness. One thing you lack, your life is all about you. Give to the poor. At this he went away sad, for he had great riches. The truth is, he didn't have great riches. Great riches had him. But watch this. Nowhere did Jesus say, have nothing. He says, follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven. Oh, you know, that's what we're meant to do. We're meant to not, you know, not have earthly wealth, but store up treasure in heaven. <laughs> for what? You know, for when we get there, because eternity is a long time. <laughs> well, let's say, you, let's say you manage to store up a billion dollars of treasure in heaven. And let's say it costs you a dollar a day to live in heaven. What do you do on the billionth and first day? Do you really think that heaven's full of beggars? With God saying, well, you should have stored up more treasure. When it says store up treasure in heaven, it's not for heaven. I don't put my money in Wells Fargo for Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo don't send me a postcard. Hey, we're down here in Cancun. Thanks for putting your money in our account. We just love our vacations. We couldn't do it if it were. No, no. I don't put my money in Wells Fargo for Wells Fargo. Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. It's not for heaven. It's just in a place where they ain't gonna tax you, where they don't charge you a $5 monthly administration fee, where they don't charge you, you know, for insufficient funds, $35, on money you didn't have. Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth nor rust don't destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. But it's, it's not meant to be for heaven, it's meant to be here. If you read your Bible, which I recommend, you'll find God says, bring the tithe. Test me now in this, if I will not throw open the windows of heaven and pour out such blessing. God says, because of the sin of the land, the heavens are shut up. If you repent and return to righteousness, I'll open the heavens and pour out for you rain and pour out for you blessing. You're meant to store up treasure in heaven that the devil can't touch, 
where greedy governments can't get their hands on it so that you can walk under an open heaven, so that you can call heaven, you can call blessing. The Bible says that Cornelius, the first Gentile to receive the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that Peter came to him after an angel says, Peter, Simon, go down to meet Cornelius. He's gonna be on his rooftop. I've given him a vision. This is what he's gonna saw because his prayers and his generosity has come up before me as a memorial. In other words, God looked and says, my God, whose account is this that just keeps increasing? It's Cornelius's account. It wasn't for heaven, it was for here. He was the first beneficiary of the, the, the gospel going to the Gentiles and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. So I, anyway, so I just had to kind of, Take a second there. God wants you to advance. You've got to give yourself permission to advance. God wants you to increase. He wants you to be the head, not the tail. Above only, not beneath. He wants you to walk in blessings, not cursings. He, wa he wants you to be blessed, to be a blessing. Let me tell you, you can't have too much money, but you can have too little. If you've got too much money, Pastor, I've got too much money. Come and make an appointment with Pastor Drew and say, how do I spend these? We can help you. We can help you. There are 16 camps around saying, we can help you offload that burden. There are so many people trapped in bondage, so many people trapped in, we, we, we want to keep taking ground. Do you know the definition of poor means to have insufficient to meet your needs? The defin of, definition of rich, according to the Bible. See, what most people do is they interpret the Bible through a worldly mindset. Interpret the Bible through a biblical mindset. The word poor in the Bible is to have insufficient to meet your needs. The word rich in the Bible is to have an abundance to meet your needs and the needs of others. The word rich in the Bible, the literal translation of rich in the Bible is to have an abundance to meet not only your needs, but the needs of others. Which one do you think? That's why the Bible says the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and adds no sorrow with it. Because you, God wants you to a place where you have an abundance. You can't just meet your needs, but you can meet the needs of others. For some of you, this is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable not because I'm giving you the Australian version. I'm giving you what the Scripture says, and you haven't heard it before. But I'm trying to give you permission because you'll find that even though your head may be arguing, your spirit and your heart is saying amen on the inside because what I'm telling you is truth, and it is resonating. Somebody say amen. Anyway. Anyway, so God wants you to increase. God wants you to increase. So number one, there are three areas, three essentials, I believe, for overcoming the obstacles that are gonna come against you as you increase. The first one is what I call vision, vision. Before anything changes externally, something has to shift internally. Before your world will change on the outside, something must shift on the inside. God is a vision God. The only time Jesus ever spoke on leadership, He spoke about vision. He said, if the blind lead the blind, will they not both fall into a pit? If somebody leads, they have to see. If somebody leads, they must see. You may say, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not a leader in the church. You know, I don't, you know, I've never put my hand up for any leadership role. I'm not really a leader. Well, if you have a family, you're a leader. Well, you know, I don't have a family. I live by myself then you gotta lead yourself. If you can't lead yourself, you can't lead others. You are meant to lead yourself into all that God has. You are meant to lead your way out of darkness, lead your way out of the, lead your way out of the, Jesus says, follow me. 
So you have somebody to follow, but you actually got to get up. You actually got to leave that cell. You got to leave those chains. You got to leave that dysfunction. You got to leave that stinking thinking. You got to leave, you got to make a decision. Today, I'm walking out of chains. I'm walking out of dark. I'm going to walk, I'm going to walk into all that God has for me. Somebody say amen. So, but you can't lead unless you see, unless you have vision. So God comes to Joshua and He says, Joshua, see, I've given Jericho into your hand. When Joshua looked at Jericho, it looked impossible. But God says, Joshua, you're the leader. All the people are gathered behind you. As I was with Moses, so shall I be with you. The people need, the people see what you see. They see impregnable. They see concrete walls. They, they see the finest of human engineering. They see walls so high, so thick that they have apartments built. They have houses and homes built into the walls. But Joshua, if you wanna be the leader, then I need you to see that I've given Jericho into your hand. And I need you to march around it and shout with a great shout and the walls will come down. You don't need to have the weaponry. You don't need to look and say, God, we don't have the tools. We don't have the weaponry. We don't have the technology to bring these walls down because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are not natural, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Just shout with a great shout. Shout a shout of praise and the walls will come down. But Joshua had to see it before he could walk into it. In Genesis 13, 14, and 15, it says, After Abraham and Lot had parted ways, after they had separated, God said to Abraham, Lift up your eyes now and look. Lift up your eyes now and see northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land that you see I am giving you. The inference in the Hebrew there is Abraham, everything you see you can possess, everything you don't see you can't possess. Your life, your future is determined by what you see. You're the smartest people in San Diego. I'm not sure whether you realize that. You're the smartest people in South Bay because at 12 p.m. you decided through the rain, through the slippery streets, and as you know, San Diegans do not know how to drive in the rain, risking your life. You said, you know what? I'm going to get myself down to the house of God because at that house, that is a, it is a word and revelation dispensing. I'm going to sit in that seat. I'm going to open my heart. I'm going to receive a word. As the word goes in, everything is about to shift. Can somebody say amen? See, right now they're, they're filming this for television. Oh, I'm glad that we're, we're on television. But you know, the truth is that all television is, is just the ability to tell a vision. Our, our, our televisions uh, can access, you know, thousands of channels. Not every channel will help you. Not every cha channel will deliver you. But when you come into the house of God, you need to understand that just like, you're, just like it's your home, you have a, a, you know, like a satellite box or an antenna or, uh, you know, on the side of your dish, on the side of your, your house or on the roof, it, it picks up invisible signals. And it translates those invisible signals to a box in the middle of your living room where it projects images. When you come into the house of God, you need to understand there is a frequency in the house of God. 
there is a frequency in the house of God that when you lift your hands in worship, you are like a satellite dish. You are, you are tuning into the frequency. It's, it's a high frequency. It's the frequency of the most holy, the most high God. And as you begin to lean in, you'll find that the words begin, the words is what decodes that atmosphere. It's like I can't explain it. I feel something. I feel a peace. I feel a power. I feel hope. I feel faith. But it's the word that is the decoder, the decodes. And as you hear the word, it'll paint a new picture on the living room of your heart of what your future can be, what your future ought to be. Maybe you come from dysfunction. Maybe you come from brokenness. Maybe you come from generations of welfare. Maybe you come from divorce. Maybe you come from a broken home. But can I tell you today in the house of God, if you will lean in, if you'll be courageous, receive the word of God and the word will put a different picture in your heart. I got to tell you, be courageous, be strong and courageous. When God began to, I began to sit in the house of God and I began to see that somehow I could be married and I could be married to one person for, for life. But, but I just looked at my culture and I looked at the world and I said, man, 50% of marriages are ending divorce. My, my mom and dad, their marriage was a mess. Three times my mom left my dad. She only went back because her self-esteem was so beat down. We tried to convince her as a kid, leave dad. You shouldn't put up with this. And, and so I had broken pictures. But thank God I walked into the house of God. But I'd love to tell you the first time I heard it, the first time I saw the picture, I received it. I didn't have the courage because what I saw was so unfamiliar. What was familiar is the broken. The problem with us human beings is we return to what's familiar rather than step into uncharted waters of, of unfamiliar. But can I say, be strong and courageous for you shall enter into the promises of God, but you gotta be strong and courageous, Joshua. You gotta be willing to believe the new picture. This church is a word dispensing church. We wanna preach the Word of God so that you can get a brand new picture in your heart to see differently, to begin to believe differently. I was recently on my daughter's uh, fourth grade field trip to Sacramento and I was, you know, hanging out with some of the other dads and, you know, talking about sport and all the, that kind of stuff. And then finally the conversation got to, you know, what each and every different dad did. Well, one of the guys was a, uh, was a psychotherapist and uh, he says, now he only works with elite athletes. And so we began to talk about psychotherapy and I said, man, I love psychology because psych is the word for soul. Uh, ology comes from the word logos, which means words. And it says, you, you know, as human beings, as what I do every Sunday is psychology. Because I, I preach the word to change your soul words. Psychology, soul words. You are your soul words. Your life, your life is your internal dialogue. I'm a loser, I'm no good, I'm a sinner. I'm never going to amount to much. My life is miserable. Good things happen to everybody. Your life is shaped by your, inter by your soul words. The job of the church, if we're doing it right, is I want to change those words. So I'm more than a conqueror. I am beloved. I am accepted in the beloved. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God has said, He rejoices over me. with He's engraved my name into the palm of His hands. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my, all my sin has been washed away. God has translated us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the Son of His love. If God has given us Jesus, how much more will He give us all? God, I want to begin to change your soul words so that you can come into all that God has for you. But it's got to change on the inside. Something's got to shift on the inside. So this psychologist began to tell me that now with, you know, 23 and me and 
you know, your DNA and all that kind of stuff. He says they can pinpoint to 99% accuracy if you had a grandparent who was in the Holocaust. To 99% accuracy. I said, how does that work? He says, because the trauma that they went through in the Holocaust affected the DNA. And he says it takes four generational cycles for the DNA to reprogram itself. He says that trauma is stamped to four generations. The fifth generation, interesting in the Bible, five is grace. So whether you realize it or not, that you carry a trajectory. You carry in your DNA already pre-wiring and pre-programming mostly to fail, mostly to, to not succeed, mostly to be addicted, mostly to struggle, mostly. But thank God for Jesus Christ. Thank God for, see, let, let, me, let me explain. Muhammad, Confucius, Buddha, wonderful people. Let's call them all wonderful people. All they can do is say, hey, bring your pre-wiring, bring your dispositions, and now clothe yourself in this, and five times a day do this, do this activity, but you've still got the same wiring. Only Jesus Christ says, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you be born again. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. The moment you receive Jesus Christ, the moment you begin, you receive Jesus Christ, God begins to do the rewriting of your DNA. He begins to do the rewriting of your That's why the Bible calls Him the author and the finisher of our faith. You will find that when you have put your faith in Christ, He begins to author, He begins to write, He begins to decode and recode, decode and recode, decode and recode, so you don't have to repeat. When I met Jesus Christ, you need to understand, I was on the same trajectory. If you look at my life on a graph, I was on the same trajectory as my father, the same trajectory as my grandfather. I was on exactly the same path, but there was a moment where everything changed. And if you look back and said, my God, what is this point? What happened here where your life changed trajectory? I can tell you what it was. It was January 1986 when Jesus Christ stepped into my life and everything shifted. The moment Christ comes into your life, He doesn't make you religious. He makes you born again. And He breaks those sin patterns. He breaks those cycles and He sets you free. Can somebody say amen? The Word of God, man, I'm, ah. Faith is not faith in faith alone. A lot of people have a jacked up view of faith. They just, well, you know, I'm just, just believing by faith, pastor. Faith is in something. Jesus says, have faith in God. Have faith in God. How do I have faith in God? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. You can't have faith in God, but not in His Word. In fact, what God has done, again, if you read Genesis, which I recommend, the Bible says it wasn't God walking in the garden. It says, and the voice, they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden. Even Adam and Eve, it was the Word that was walking with them. Have faith in God, have faith in His Word. What has God said? What has God said? When you receive God's Word, I need you to understand God's Word has power. God's Word has power. The first time God speaks in recorded 
scripture. Genesis 1 verse 3, and God said, let there be light. Light was. If you read your Bible again, I encourage it. God doesn't create the sun for another four days. It wasn't like God did a whoopsie. It wasn't like God said, let there be light. And then, yes, Gabriel, um, you haven't created the sun. Oh, oh, well, how, oh, how silly of me. What an oversight. How am I going to have a light without the sun? No, no, no. God, God, God purposely waits four days just so that, you know, when Lazarus dies, Jesus could turn up four days later and just echo his heavenly Papa who said, let there be light. Light was. So when he comes and they said, Jesus, if only you would have been here, but now it's too late. He's been dead four days. Jesus said, same God. Lazarus, come for, and the man who was dead came out. The man who was dead four days came back to life. Why? Because the Word, when the Word is released, it has its own power source. You need to understand that the Word has its own power. Whenever God sends out its Word, it never returns to Him without accomplishing that for which it's sent out. It always accomplishes. God watches over His Word to perform it. God's Word has power. God's Word has power. When the Word comes into your heart, it brings its own power source. You may say, oh, God told us this year. And people say, well, hang on. Have you looked at the economy? Have you looked at the market? How could that be? God, God doesn't need that. God don't need no sun for there to be light. He doesn't need there to be a pulse to bring Lazarus back from the dead. He don't need the Word has its own power. That's why we are a Word church. You don't have faith in faith. You have faith in God. You have faith in His Word. When you receive the Word, it'll generate power on the inside of you. That Word will always accomplish. It'll never return to God void. Can somebody say amen? Amen. I've got two more points in one minute and 48 seconds. Number two, dear Jesus. Number two is faith. So I guess I'm already preaching on that one. Number one was vision. Number two was faith. I got confused. I must have already started in number two. So we have faith in faith. So we don't have faith in faith. We have faith in God. We have faith in God. Well, let me go to number three. Number three is what I call missional. So vision, faith, faith in God's Word. Number three is missional. You gotta be intentional. You need to understand that as you take ground, as you take ground, there is a devil resisting you. This year you are called to advance. This year you're called to increase. This year you're called. But you need to understand that as you increase, there's gonna be some devil pushing me back. As we began to, 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 to bust out in San Diego, we had a battle with our eldest son and we had a battle with our, with our daughter. Two of them completely different. But both of them were very real battles. Both of them, the devil was looming, trying to take the life. The doctors were telling us to abort Zoe, telling us that Zoe had uh, nine markers for Down syndrome, severe uh, chromosome deficiencies, developmental issues, problems with her heart and her lungs and internal organs. And that unless we were ready to uh, raise a severely handicapped child, we really ought to abort. It's interesting because Leanne was the fourth and her mother was told the same thing. And Zoe was our fourth and now history repeats itself. And so Leanne just said, no, not on our watch. And God began to speak to me. And so I began to take the words that He spoke and I began to speak them over the developing fetus, the developing baby, the developing child in Leanne's womb. 
And when Zoe was born, she was born absolutely perfect. She's the top of her class. She's the brightest in her class. She is so creative. But it was amazing. The enemy tried to come in. The enemy tried to take out my firstborn. There were times where his addiction was, had gotten the better of him where he felt so overwhelmed that he just wanted to end his life. There were weekends where Leanne and I thought this weekend might be the weekend where we will discover our son deceased. The devil said to me one night, he literally, I felt him in our room. I couldn't sleep, I was tormented. And he said, this is just the price. You wanna influence San Diego, you wanna win a city, there's a price over a city. It's the, your firstborn. But how many people thank God for the Holy Ghost who never leaves you nor forsakes you? The Holy Spirit said to me, don't listen to him, he's a liar. The Father gave his firstborn. No more sacrifices required, his sacrifice was more than enough. What it did was it made me draw a line in the sand and I understood that I had to fight for my boy. I had to fight for my daughter. I had to fight. But thank God the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty. They are mighty in God. That's why I'm not afraid to stand up here and because I thank God I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, when you speak in tongues, people don't understand. When you visit Paris, you don't understand. When you visit Vienna, you don't understand. When you visit Munich, you don't understand. When you visit Rome, you don't understand. I ain't. I knew right there and then I need to be filled with a power that is supernatural. Devil, you back off. You ain't taking my firstborn. You ain't taking my lastborn. You're not taking any of my kids. Me, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. All my children shall be taught of the Lord. You need to understand. You've got to be missional. You've got to be intentional. Really quickly, I've got to finish on this Scripture. Genesis 1.29, Genesis 1.29, God says to, to Adam, See, see I've given you every herb, every plant, yielding seed within itself to you it shall be for food. Adam was in a garden. He was created in a wilderness and the Bible says that the Lord took the man who He had formed in the wilderness and placed him in the garden that He had planted. God visited Adam in the garden. God walked with Adam in the garden. Adam's job was to exercise dominion over the whole world. But God put him in a garden. Everything in the kingdom begins as a seed and ends in a harvest. The garden was a little garden that Adam was meant to tend and keep and it was meant to increase. As the garden of paradise, as the garden of fellowship with the Father, as the garden of tranquility, splendor, paradisical beauty increased, the wilderness would decrease. The devil dwells in the wilderness. And Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus says, when an unclean spirit leaves a man, it goes into the wilderness. It goes into dry and arid places seeking rest. On the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, they take two goats. One is sacrificed. The other one is what they call the scapegoat and is sent into the Wilderness. It is symbolic of Satan. Satan identifies with that because we are set free or is he still under judgment? Adam's job was to take the seed from the garden, go to the edge where garden finishes and wilderness begins. And he was to take that seed and plant it 
into the wilderness to decrease wilderness and increase garden where God could fellowship, where God could walk. His job was to increase the garden, decreasing the wilderness. Increase the garden, decrease the wilderness. As we take ground in San Diego, you need to understand, I know that we're, we're, we're taking ground from demonic forces, but I ain't here to appease demonic forces. I ain't even here to, to beg from the devil to give me scraps to, you know, do you mind if we, no, no, we, we, we're here to cast out the devil. We're here to break his grip. We're here to diminish darkness. We're here to increase life. We're here to increase life. We're here to take ground from the enemy. That, that's why we ain't stopping at just, you know, five campuses. We're gonna keep planting campuses, keep planting altars where, People can have an encounter with God. Let me just say this in finishing. The church, God showed me this just this last week. The church is the Garden of Eden. I said, how on earth is the church the Garden of Eden? He says, in the Garden of Eden, like there was the most exquisite fruit, the most exotic fruit. Today, we know that fruit, bananas, apples, pineapples, oranges, you know, are essential to our, 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 our health. You know, they've got vitamin C and vitamin B and rubber flavor and nice and all this kind of stuff in there. But it's interesting, if you read Adam and Eve, when she looked at the tree, she saw that it was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, but watch this, but able to make one wise. So it didn't just have a physical aspect, it had a spiritual and intellectual aspect. And God said, that's the church. Because of a Stacy Capaldi who got planted in the house of God. Blessed is the man who was planted in the house of God. He shall flourish in the courts of our God. Leaf shall not wither, bring forth his fruit in season. The fruit of Stacey Capaldi's life, the wisdom on this young lady, the leadership, the insight over this young lady. When you eat of that, you, you'll be wise. Christian and Lupita planted in the house of God, flourishing. Did you eat the fruit of their life? My God, we can, we can break through in marriage. Wow. You know, we can come from two different worlds, broken and fractured worlds, and we can, because of the fruit of their life, they are, you can eat that fruit and you can find yourself flourishing. You, you, Travis and, and Susan Greener come into the house of God passion and zeal and fire. as they planted themselves that the begins to grow begins to flourish and you can eat the fruit the fruit in this house man how do I get through marriage all I know is dysfunction and divorce there's f fruit growing in here you can have the you can eat my God we know how to do marriage man we know how to do family man we know how to raise teenagers man we know how to discover your identity man we know how to discover your gifts we know how to discover the house of God is the Garden of Eden where you come and you can eat from the fruit that is here and it'll cause your life to flourish. It'll cause your life to increase. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to C3SanDiego.com.